Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Everything we've sang about and everything we've heard in the updates so far is pretty much my sermon. And so we're pretty much going to get a repeat of everything we've already said. And so I hope you're ready to study God's Word with me today. Because every time we have teams like these come from all over the world, it reminds us why we are here as a church. It reminds us why we are even here. Because God has given His redeemed people... The mission and the purpose of being a witness of a crucified Savior. To be the heralds of a message that to the world does not make sense. A message that looks like weakness of a Jewish man dying on a cross, but in fact this apparent weakness is the greatest display of wisdom and power that you can ever imagine. And our desire is that we want to see the cross of Jesus Christ have its crucifying effect here in Pretoria, in America, in Germany, and all over the world. Because the message of the cross is a message not only of this specific event in history, but as we know, it's a way of life. For every true follower of Christ, because as we look at the message of the cross, it's this reminder of the, the daily execution of self. The daily execution of our pride, of our self-reliance, of our own personal comforts and desires. Now you remember that Luke wrote in the book of Acts that just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his team of ordinary missionaries and preachers and evangelists that they have this massive, massive task and responsibility to be his witness, not only in Jerusalem, but to every corner of the earth. A task that if you stop and think about it, seems way too big and too, me- too, too important for messy, proud, selfish, sinful people like us. But knowing exactly what this will entail, God said in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. I mean, this team of ordinary men were going to be His effective witnesses, and if that's going to happen to the ends of the earth, they were going to need supernatural help. And that is exactly what God promised, and God made good on that promise. Because as you keep reading the book of Acts, you see that God supernaturally empowered the apostles to declare the truth of the gospel in simple yet powerful ways that didn't just stay in Jerusalem or Judea, or Samaria, because here we look at a room full of people from all over the world believing and trusting in the same crucified Savior. And the reality is every time a Christian engages in a conversation with someone else about Jesus and how He died on the cross for sinners and rose from the dead for sinners, It's not just an ordinary conversation, is it? It's a supernatural conversation that is empowered by the Spirit of God. 
And today I thought we could take a break from the book of Galatians. You know we've been walking our way through the book of Galatians. And stop today and talk about what we are aiming for in our witness as a local church. What are we aiming for in our witness as a local church? Because after the service today, we will go into the streets of Hatfield to be this witness for Jesus. About this work He has done on our behalf. And Lord willing, engage with people in some of these supernatural gospel conversations. But if we're not clear on what we're aiming for in our witness, then the temptation might be to make our witness about Jesus more about us and what we say and how we say it than actually making it about Jesus. In other words, when we go out there and if we're preaching in here, we don't want people to base their faith on the the wisdom of man, but on the wisdom and power of God. Because what is happening all around us, even as Josh is talking, it's reminding me that men and women are mixing their own ideas of the gospel, which God has already revealed. They do so so they can be edgy and memorable, inspirational, and try to be irrelevant. To our times. You have these preachers and evangelists come up with their own interpretation of the gospel and even have their own vocabulary to come across as powerful and interesting. And basically what is happening is that people are looking to win other people over by their own wisdom. Rather than the wisdom and power that God has already revealed. And this is not something new. This kind of thing has been happening for a very, very long time. That is why I thought we could take a look at the the Apostle Paul and how he dealt with this issue when he was in Corinth. In Corinth. And consider what are the fundamentals of being an effective witness for Jesus. Because what Paul is going to make clear is that we need to get ourselves out of the way if we are going to put Christ and His cross on display. You actually might want to write that down. We need to get ourselves out of the way if we want to put Christ and His cross on display. And that is so true because what typically stands in the way of effective preaching and witnessing and reaching the lost? If we're honest, we'll recognize it's us. Our insecurities, Our fear of man and rejection. Knowing that we struggle with sin ourselves and we don't feel confident that we can talk to other people about Jesus. Or on the other hand, you have some of these people who are so confident in themselves, they just want people to think they are such great communicators that they basically start to think they are wiser than everyone else. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians and consider together what are the fundamentals of being an effective witness for Christ. And I want to start reading from chapter 1, verse 10. So take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, and we'll start reading in verse 10. But the emphasis for today will be on chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. So a good portion of Scripture we'll read here together. Starting 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. This is God's Word. I appeal to you, brothers... By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized no one of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. 
But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let no one boast. Let the one who boasts, sorry, Boast in the Lord. Now here's our text for today. And I, when I came to you brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Here you have this ordinary man, Paul, that finds himself in this place, Corinth, which is this metropolitan of immoral living. Corinth was the place to be if you're into sports, arts and culture, even, even living any kind of sexually immoral life. Pub on every corner, a tavern down the road, and the, the temple prostitutes just a walking distance away. No wonder any unbeliever would want to make this place their home. Many people would flood to Corinth because this is where all these opportunities were where the wealthy and educated would seek to flourish in their worldliness. Yet it was a place of pagan worship, a place where magic was popular. Of course, a Roman-ruled city, and this meant that allegiance had to be given to the emperor. But if you were a Gentile Christian living in Corinth, you would definitely stand out and be different if you're picking up your cross and living for Jesus because you would be out of step with the social and all the cultural foundations of both the pagan and Jewish history. So there was this immense pressure from the world and the culture of that day to conform to the immoral way of living. If you read Acts 18, Paul tells us when he first came to Corinth during his second missionary journey, he was met there with opposition. But even though that he was met with resistance to him and the message he declared, the Lord gave him some significant success. In fact, because Paul obeyed God's command to preach the gospel to the ends of the, to the earth, you see this beautiful parallel between what Jesus says in Matthew 28 and the Great Commission... And what happens in Acts 18 when Paul first arrived in Corinth? For example, Matthew 28:19, Jesus said, "Go therefore." Acts 18:1, Paul came to Corinth. Matthew 28 again, Jesus says, "Make disciples." Acts 18:8, many heard and believed. Matthew 28, Jesus says, "Baptizing them." Acts 18:8. 
people heard and believed and were baptized. Matthew 28, Jesus said, teaching them. What does Paul do? Acts 18.11. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But then in Matthew 28.20, Jesus brings comfort and says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then back in Acts, in a vision, God speaks to Paul again and says, Acts 18.9-10, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. Now it might be tempted to think that Paul was this super apostle that was not afraid of anything or anyone. That he was like a loaded gun ready to shoot the truth of the gospel to anyone anywhere. But he's just like us. He also sees the challenges of proclaiming his faith in this ungodly place called Corinth. This ungodly place called Hatfield. This ungodly place called America, called Germany. He too needed the encouragement of knowing that Jesus is with him no matter what the truth is he's about to proclaim in this godless society. Because even though Paul had some success in evangelizing mostly Gentiles in the city, many people saw his message as weak. They didn't have any interest in it. What Paul is saying about a crucified Messiah sounded boring and unimportant. And even foolish. These people would much rather be entertained by someone that understood the culture of the day, that could stimulate their their thinking and sound exciting. But what we learn here from Paul regarding our witness is the same kind of thing is happening in our society today. And so... With a focus here on 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5, I want us to see three fundamentals to being an effective witness of Jesus. Three fundamentals that will help us to get ourselves out of the way so that we can put Christ on display. And the first one has to do with Paul's approach. Paul's approach. Here in verses 1 and 2. Because here he shows us that to be an effective witness for Jesus, we need the right approach. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I mean, when Paul came to Corinth in Acts 18, he did go to the synagogue and he was trying to reason with the Jews and the Greeks. But his approach to preaching and witnessing was not to draw attention to himself. This was something that was very normal for people to do when they wanted to persuade someone else. And so Paul turns from considering the the way in which the Corinthians have thought about wisdom and how people speak, and instead he focuses on the content of his own ministry. Big difference. He is saying that when people usually come to town, these public speakers in the ancient world... These guys come with their eloquent speech. They would arrive in the city and they would have the approach that would follow this kind of set and somewhat expected procedure of just piling on the praise of the city and all its achievements. Using the eloquence of their words and the so-called superior wisdom to win the audience and to draw attention to themselves. And so in contrast to that, Paul says he did not come with these kinds of lofty words. He didn't come to Corinth as a philosopher to sound impressive. He came as a witness. He came as a witness. He came proclaiming the testimony of God. And the word testimony means just that, a testimony or a witness. And a person can only testify to what he himself has seen or heard and experienced. Someone that goes to court, for example, as a witness, has the responsibility to report only what he knows to be objectively, what he knows factually correct, and what he knows personally. He's not to speculate, he's not to guess, he's not to come up with his own version. 
And Paul was a witness only to God's revelation and not his own human understanding. Didn't rely on his own reasoning and feelings. Because Paul wants to make it absolutely clear that God's revelation was everything and that human wisdom was nothing. God's revelation is everything and human wisdom is nothing. And so he didn't come to Corinth to draw attention to himself and generate some sort of fan club that was based on who he was as an apostle or what he did. He didn't use language in a way that gave the impression that he is someone that knows so much about theology, trying to establish some sort of dominance over others because listen to what he sounds like. He must be this powerful man of God. One scholar says it well. He says, preaching the gospel in ways that exhibit human wisdom would be an expression of self-assertion and would thus go directly against the content of the gospel. Because the true gospel always points beyond who we are as people and points to a glorious God and Savior who died for His people. But that becomes corrupted and twisted whenever humans exploit the good news of Jesus to make it about themselves, to make themselves the headline and the star of the show. Paul's approach was simply to give a clear witness to the gospel. And that's what witnesses in Jesus have to do in plain and simple language. You don't need to impress people with your apologetic skills. That's why you must have the the right resolve like Paul does here. You must be intentionally deciding like Paul to get yourself out the way and to make your witness about Jesus and not about who He is. That's verse 2. He says, my approach is very simple. For I decided, Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If you want to avoid coming across as this Christian salesman, then focus your witness and your message on the fact that Jesus was crucified. You can't have the gospel without the cross of Jesus. Early in chapter 1 verse 17, Paul says, For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You see, Paul, even here, he's not even, when he goes into these new places, he's not even focusing on baptizing people. He's not trying to line up people for a bath consumed with the the sacraments of the church. Because he knew that if you win people over without them understanding why Jesus had to die for them, that their faith will be in vain. Trusting in a gospel that is empty. Having a baptism that is empty. Because there's a way to empty the cross of its power, and that's when we don't speak about the cross. And all you talk about are are all the blessings of being a Christian, but you never tell people that Jesus had to die for them. Think about how tempting that could be for Paul and even for us. Everyone around him is saying that this idea of a man dying on a cross, that seems weak and foolish. Let's talk about something different. A Jewish carpenter being humiliated on a cross, that sounds so weak. Come on, Paul, get real. That stuff's not going to do anything. It's going to be easier to win people over if you just tell them, follow Jesus. Because then you're going to be promised this amazing new inheritance. Follow Jesus, because God says, you will have strength and power to deal with any problem in your life. Follow Jesus, because then your life will be just so much better. And you can be witnessing about Jesus and saying all these things that are true, but you actually don't share with them the essence of the gospel. In fact, you're not sharing the gospel with them at all. Which is that there is a debt that you and I have to pay because of our sin. And you can't pay that debt by yourself. Someone has to pay. I remember working at a tire shop when I was just finished with 
high school as one of my first jobs. And this customer came in the morning to drop off his car uh, just to get a new set of tires. But later when that car was pulled up, the lift broke. And the car fell back towards, uh, towards the back and the whole backside of the car was damaged, seriously damaged. It needed way more than just a new set of tires. And so I remember one of the other workers from the shop came running over. And his first word says, someone will have to pay here. Someone is going to have to pay to get this fixed. And he was right. You can't have this car fixed without someone paying for it. And the guy who operated the lift couldn't afford it. The customer whose card was couldn't afford it. And the same is true for all the lawbreakers in this room and out there who are enslaved to their own broken, sinful desires, who live in rebellion against the Holy God. We have a debt that needs to be paid, but we cannot afford to pay it by ourselves. And so what are we to do? Paul's message was clear. He was preaching Christ as crucified, the one who came to pay the debt that we owe to God. We are so messed up from all angles because of sin. And we will keep choosing to trust in ourselves and exalt ourselves, even in the way we try to reach others for Jesus. And nothing will change unless someone can do what we cannot do for ourselves. Paul did not preach Jesus as the perfect teacher. He did not witness about Jesus as being the perfect example only, or just the, the perfect law keeper, even though all of this stuff is true. He and the other apostles primarily preached about what seemed so weak to the world, but for those who are being saved, as we have said, the most powerful event in human history. But not only did the apostles preach the facts of the cross, they also preached the interpretation of this dramatic event. Peter did the same thing. He says that Christ died, and then he gives the interpretation for our sins. Look at how he said it in 1 Peter 2.24. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. There is to be no confusion about what Jesus was doing when he was dying on the cross. And if we leave out the crucified Savior, you want people to the idea of all the gospel benefits, but there's no true reconciliation between them as sinners and the Holy God. You end up with people sitting next to you in church living for themselves, but now they just do so looking a bit nicer on Sundays. Religious paganism rejects a crucified Jesus because it rather prefers the wearing of that badge as we see as we walk around town that makes them feel part of something important. More interested in the, the so-called objects of power that are so anointed. More interested in the, the power of the man of God that we can do anything for this guy because he's going to give us the deliverance we need. More interested in the, the cultural pressure of pleasing the ancestors. Why? Why? Because the Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked. And a crucified Savior is a stumbling block to those who are perishing. And so here comes Paul into the pagan city of Corinth and says, I want to show you that the Messiah had to suffer and die and that this Jesus is the man that died for you. He died for you. And the thing is, we don't need to come up with clever new ways to try and convince people that they need to follow Jesus. Because God's wisdom is the best wisdom there is. And He says that what even seems weak to people is wiser than anything humans can come up with. Back in 1 Corinthians 1.22, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. 
But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Maybe today as we walk and we talk with people, you might be interacting with those who are being called. Because then God says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. If the crucifying work of Jesus has changed your life, then why would you want to use any other truth to see other people changed? How can you not want to share that truth so that they can be changed? So obviously God is no foolishness and weakness. But in this context with the Corinthians, who think that the cross is exactly that, Paul shows them that in fact the greatest wisdom and power there ever was is this ordinary man in the eyes of the world dying on a cross. But this ordinary man is in fact the love of God displayed through sacrifice. Ever since men fell into sin back in the Garden of Eden, God has been on mission to fix what we have broken. And our record of sin just keeps growing and growing every day when we disobey a holy God. And God being so perfect and holy and just must judge us for that sin. And death, which is the reality for us all, is the visible evidence of our guilt. And so how do we deal with this problem of death? By looking at the one who died in my place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so we have this significant problem and this long record of sin against our name. But the good news of the Bible is that God chooses to count that sin against His Son. And He did that on the hill of Calvary. And that same wisdom and power and message should be what we declare in our approach to reach people and being a faithful witness of Christ. One commentator says, The preaching of the cross was so dominant in the early church that many Jews and Gentiles accused Christians of worshipping a dead man. Is that what our witness sounds like? Is that what our worship looks like? To help a person understand the gospel, Paul would go to any length to explain and clarify the cross. He would center in on the cross. He would not say one word to modify it or contradict it. Because he knows that's where the power of God lies. He would not make it about him in any way because he knew personally that the only way someone would experience the lasting transformation is if they understood that Jesus was the one who loved them so much that he would take their place and die for their sins. Too often preachers and teachers and these evangelists want to give the glory to themselves. Paul resolved to only glory in the cross. And therefore he made it the center of his message. That is his approach to being a faithful, effective witness for Jesus. And we can either talk so much about the blessings of the gospel or to try and win people over through the fear of hell that you even forget to tell them about the cross that bring all these realities together. But only, not only do we need the right approach a Christ-crucified approach, another fundamental aspect to getting ourselves out the way and to put the cross on display is by having the right attitude in our witness for Jesus. Having the right attitude in our witness for Jesus. So if you want to be an effective witness for Christ, then yes, we need the right approach, but we also need the right attitude. This is verses 3 and 4. Paul says, And I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. 
Paul is resolved to point people to Jesus and he is not interested in adjusting the message so it pleases his audience. And so he shows us the attitude of someone that was an effective witness for Christ because he says, I was with you in weakness. There's fear. There's trembling. Now some people think Paul is talking about his physical appearance like we saw back in Galatians chapter 4, if you remember. That he had this physical appearance that was so hard for others to see and people struggled to see him like that, that made him weak. But although he did have some physical issues, it could be that Paul is more referring to the kind of hardships he had before he came to Corinth. And the attitude he had of not wanting to rely on himself. Not wanting to rely on himself. Because the reality was, when Paul came to Corinth after being beaten and imprisoned in Philippi, he was run out of Thessalonica and Berea. And he was mocked in Athens. You see that in Acts 16 and 17. In other words, when Paul talks about weakness and fear and trembling, like he does in other places in the New Testament, it has to do with this deep concern he has over something that is very, very important. And knowing how strong the influence of Corinth might be on, him, on himself and anyone else who seeks to proclaim the message of a crucified Savior, this brought him deep, deep concern. And there was this kind of fear and trembling that the gospel might not impact this pagan place. And he, he fears the consequences if it does not. And the point is, he doesn't go into this pagan place thinking, you know what, I got this. I got this. I can do this. Rather, he realizes he's a very limited man. And he can't do this by himself. And so he comes with the attitude that it can only be God who can do this. If you seek to be a witness for Jesus, you need that same kind of attitude. That it's only God that can do this. In the same way, we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2.12 We also need to witness to the world with a sense of awe and desperation as we think about who we are talking about. And so as Paul was talking about Jesus, Paul could, the people around him could sense that God has at work through this man. Because he says, it's obvious, my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. But it's the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. In other words, the power that was coming through Paul's approach and his attitude made it clear to everyone that the Spirit of God must be at work in this man's life. It couldn't be his own words, but even the, the simple foolish words of the cross resulted in a dramatic display of God's power. And the same is true with anyone who stops relying on himself to be this effective witness for Jesus and relies on God to use the simple message of the cross to transform people's lives. One scholar says, the point is actually simple. It is in the very nature of the cross that it cannot be preached elegantly and brilliantly only in weakness. Only in weakness. Only in dependence. Only being in awe of what God has done. And this brings comfort and encouragement to people like us because Paul helps us see that whatever form of weakness we might have going on in our lives right now, in the hands of a merciful God, He can use that weakness to show His absolute saving power. A humble and dependent attitude can be a mighty evangelistic tool if combined with the message of the cross. And because Paul was depending on God's Spirit in his witnessing, it became a demonstration. Pretty cool word, a demonstration. Because it's not a performance. It's a demonstration. The word demonstration here can be translated the legal proof presented in court. And because God used Paul's preaching and his humble, dependent attitude in witnessing to change lives, it was all the proof that Paul needed to know that God was the one doing the saving. God is the one doing the saving. Because then later in Corinthians, chapter, 
1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, we read this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But then what does Paul say next in verse 11? And such were some of you. Were. Past tense. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And so when we go witness to the world around us, armed with the right approach, to declare a crucified Christ with a dependent, humble attitude that is a real burden for the lost, then God can use that witness to save the sexually immoral. To rescue someone from a life of self-gratification and self-worship. He can use that witness to save marriages. To see the idolater turn from their idols and turn to God in faith. To see people who are living in the enslavement of homosexuality and drunkenness and greed. And find freedom from such a life. And find their identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they are confronted with a gospel conversation where God can open their eyes to the truth of who they really are. And once they can see who they really are before a holy and majestic God, they will be able to see the mercy and the grace of God when they see Jesus dying on the cross for that very sin. And this means Paul had a very, very specific aim in his witness as well. First, to get himself out of the way, he had the right approach, pointing people to the cross and not making it about himself. Then we saw he had the right attitude, humbly in weakness, depending on God for the transformation of people, putting God's power on display through his weakness. And now finally, if we are going to be an effective witness for Christ, we need the right aim. We need the right aim, verse 5. He says, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul wanted the Corinthians to trust in God with all their hearts and not trust in Him and become dependent on Him. If Paul had depended on human wisdom and presented the plan of salvation with this philosophical system of higher thought as he's trying to explain salvation in history, then to the Corinthians, that might have, they might have put their trust in that explanation. They might have been won over by his performance, which is not a performance, instead of putting their faith and trust in Jesus. And all that will happen when people trust in the wisdom of men is that they might change intellectually, but you know, they don't change spiritually. It might seem like they know more, But fundamentally, their lives would look exactly the same. And as we keep talking about Christ crucified, then a church and Christianity might become an hour or two on a Sunday where people are getting tired of worshiping Jesus. Those who are not truly converted get tired of worshiping Jesus. Because you still have people who are spiritually dead who end up leaving the church or causing division in the church. They say, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Yeah, I follow Jesus. Because they've been trusting in the wisdom of man instead of trusting in God all this time. And if people were truly converted by trusting in Jesus and what He had done for them, then the unity of God's people in the church will also be this demonstration of the power of God. If we were only interested to get people to fill the seats here at Living Up Church, or have more people come to the service and we can have more financial freedom as a church, then we will also try to give people what they want instead of giving them what they need. And the sad thing is there are people who are running towards a faith system that just wants to know what they must do in order to be blessed. 
who love to hear what they must do so they can receive all the blessings of God. And so one scholar says, when you are leading people to Christ, never tell them that they are saved because they have done this or that. It is the job of the Holy Spirit to witness to people that they are saved. Unless He is at work, there can be no salvation. You point them to the cross of Jesus and let Jesus do the same. How many people have been told they need to pray the sinner's prayer? They need to say this or do that. And then God will be happy with them. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that it doesn't depend on me to see people come to faith or to see people grow in faith. But it encourages me that God can use broken people like us as instruments in His powerful hands to declare this wonderful gospel that can see people become dependent on Him. So that when people turn against me or reject me, when I try to tell them about Jesus and the cross... They are in fact rejecting God. That it's okay if conversations are going to get awkward. And that I might look like a fool. Because as Pastor John Stott says, and he says it so well, he says, it seems that the only preaching that God honors, through which His wisdom and power are expressed, is the preaching of a man who is willing in himself to be both a weakling and a fool. Are you willing to be a fool for Jesus? We know that the power of change lies with God and His work through the Holy Spirit. It is God that opens people's eyes to the truth. It is God that Titus 3 says regenerates people so they can respond to the good news of Jesus by faith. It is that power that we want people to be dependent on. We want people to trust in Jesus and not in us and how much we care for them. Because even as life changes and people move away, people's faith in God should not be dependent on our relationship with other people, but primarily to see them walk with God regardless of where God takes us. Our aim is to see people be dependent on God. Another man says, The power that is in the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher. Otherwise men would be the converters of souls. Nor does it lie in the preacher's learning. Otherwise it would consist in the wisdom of men. We might preach until our tongues rotted, till we would exhaust our lungs and die. But never a soul would be converted unless the Holy Spirit be with the Word of God to give the power to convert the soul and sustain that soul. If we are going to be effective in our witness for Jesus, then Paul simply reminds us, we need to have the right approach. To stand firm in the conviction to preach Christ crucified, no matter what your society says. To make the cross the central message of our witness, regardless of how foolish the world thinks we are. We need the right attitude to humbly depend on God for the strength to be this witness. And to trust in Him that He can use weak, insignificant people like you and me to point people to a magnificent Savior. And we need the right aim. If we're going to be effective witnesses for Christ, then our aim is to help people fall in love with Christ and not us, and to trust that the Holy Spirit is the one that does the work of changing people and sustaining people. And so as we go out to live our crucified lives, let us be reminded today that God is still at work all over the world. To bring the good news of Jesus to a world that so desperately, desperately needs Him. And so let us pray that God will help us get ourselves out the way. So that we can put His love and glory on display. Let us pray that Christ be all and I be nothing. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You so much for this reminder today that...
you love witnessing to the world about the crucified Jesus. You love putting your wisdom and your love on display that to the world seems like weakness and foolishness. We thank you that we don't have to come up with this, this clever way of trying to reach the lost. Thank you that we, be, we can be encouraged to know that we can engage with anyone in a gospel conversation, that you use weak, insignificant people like us. Those who are dependent on the Spirit's work to point people to Jesus. To help people see that someone had to pay. And our sin is so great and so big that we cannot deal with this problem on our own. But that you love us so much that you sent your only Son to die so that we can live righteous and holy lives that bring you glory. Father, we pray that even as we go this afternoon to declare Jesus to the world around us, that we not depend on ourselves. This is not about us. This is not about the mission and, 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 and the missions teams and the church and how great we are and the groups and the, the way we did this and that. Lord, this is about you. We just want to point people to you. So help us to have this resolve like Paul did. Help us to have this attitude of humbly trembling before knowing who you are and having the aim to see people depend on you and not on us because they like us. They want to follow us. They really want to follow you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.